Oh my, oh my. Whew, that was beautiful. Thank you. I just don't want to preach. I just want to hear more of that. Well, Merry Christmas. Isn't it good? I was just thinking, uh, he taught us to love one another, yes? We should be, we want to be, the most loving, the most embracing church in all of North Dallas, yes? It ought to be where people say, First Baptist Louisville, oh, that's that place where God shows up. That's that place where people truly love one another. That's that place that is packing people in because everybody want to hear God's word and, and sends God's spirit. Yes? yes? That can happen. Let's make that the pledge for the new year, right? And as we see that, we don't know what God has in store for the future. We don't know what's going to happen with all this water. We don't know how we're going to do all this, but God does. He's not, he's not taken by surprise by any of this. And all he does is that he equips us and fills us with his spirit that we may do his work. Yes? And I just want you to hear that. And I want us to, to kind of come together around that. We have had as a theme uh, for these last few weeks and certainly uh, also last night. I want to kind of just develop that a little bit more somewhat briefly this morning about not getting our priorities confused. And getting the, the cart in front of the horse, so to speak, right? And, and getting things uh, turned upside down. We sometimes seen, uh, when you uh, watch, I think everybody knows that the Oscars is somewhat of the highest, uh, you know, expression of prestige. If you win an Oscar for movie making, um, the same will be true for music with Grammy and all that. And when you watch that, if you ever do that, which I don't necessarily encourage, right? It's usually boring that it's nothing. But if you ever do, you'll sometimes see that there are people that don't show up. Some of the people for whom the whole celebration is actually happening. They win an Oscar or they win a Grammy and they're not there. And you watch and say, what in the world? They did this for you. You're not there. What's going on? So they do a celebration and the main person is absent. You think that certainly can't happen. And then I was thinking of another kind of related event, although it's altogether different. Do not ever confuse these things. But Mother Teresa won the Nobel Prize. And she was there. She received the prize. And she did this speech that only Mother Teresa can do. And then afterwards, when they were going to do this sumptuous dinner or at lunch, whatever it was, at dinner probably, right? We were over the top, just sumptuous. All these people that were involved in this were getting together and eating, you know, the living daylight out of everything. She said, would you calculate what it costs for me to be at that table and give me the money that I could share that with the poor people in Kolkata? Again, a celebration where at least one of the main persons were absent. And you may be sitting there thinking, what in the world does it have to do anything with Christmas? Well, in our celebrations too, it is possible to celebrate Christmas without 
really focusing on the main person. The main reason we are celebrating this. So when you think about it, just for a little bit, the difference between what we just used as an illustration, where those being celebrated were absent of their own free volition, they just didn't care to show up for some reason. Jesus always wants to show up. If he's not the main person around which the whole celebration is focused, it's not because he's not showing up. He always wants to show up. It's a very special thing when we start thinking about Christmas and how easy it is for us to kind of get things out of focus. Just getting priorities confused. What is this all about? You know, when you read the Christmas story, one of the people we rarely hear about, if ever at all, other than when we read the story, is King Herod. I don't remember many things I've read about him, not uh, many sermons I've heard about him. He's just like one of the people in the whole thing, yes? So let's try to look at him a little bit. This morning, I want to begin in Matthew chapter 1, just read uh, two short verses and then go to chapter 2 where the main focus is, just to kind of set it up right here. So, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. It's verse 18 in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Matthew. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Then verse 22. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See? The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will give him the name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at his rising and had come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of, the, of, Judea, of Judah. Sorry. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. When Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the, the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there was the star they had seen at his rising, and it led them until uh, it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child would marry his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. Just imagine, I want to say this here, when we read long passages of Scripture, I know some are thinking, how long are we going to read? But can I say this? The reading of Scripture is in and of itself an act of worship, yes? So listen, always listen up when we read God's holy word. But it's hard to imagine what's going on in the head of a psychopath like Herod. He's so insanely self-centered. Everything had to be about him. And he could not even tolerate in the slightest way that someone else might be the main person in the kingdom. So, he killed everyone who threatened him or even someone he thought might threaten his position as the ruler. He was known as the most vicious, cruel dictator they had in so many ways. Even his own children didn't escape that. His wife didn't escape that. It was so bad that, that Caesar Augustus in Rome said it is safer to be livestock of Herod the Great than it was to be his sons. <laughs> Get that. He just was fearful that someone would steal his throne, his power, and his prominence. Now, I'm sure that none of us can relate, I sure hope so, uh, to that kind of psychopathic kind of selfish self-centeredness. But still, when we think about it, it's not that difficult to be kind of consumed by ourselves and the importance of what we do and, and, and why we do what we do. And, 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 and because what we do is so important, it becomes a matter of that. Even during Christmas, it is actually possible to minimize the focus 
on the one who is the main person to a degree where it becomes almost an afterthought. Christmas, after all, is what? It's about us having a good time, isn't it? It's about us getting together. It's about us having good food. It's about us just, you know, enjoying each other's company. It's, it's about getting good gifts. It's about having all these kinds of great events, uh, creating the right mood, setting that kind of inner feeling that comes with all that. And all of that is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes in the business of getting all that just right, we can get to the point where all our focus is on ourselves and our loved one and those that are closest and we come to kind of minimize, if not shut out, the main person. The reason we have the celebration in the first place. I think we can all agree that, you know, the reason we have Christmas is because of Jesus, right? Hello, why else will we do it? And yet, there's something about the reality of what we build around it that, that makes it necessary sometimes for us to be told, let's refocus. You know, I, I want to think about Herod for a moment. Because he did a lot of great things, and you'll know that when we're, when we're done. He, he would have had all kinds of Good answers, good explanations for why he did what he did. Some of them we would even find maybe even somewhat reasonable. So why would you be that focused on getting rid of Jesus? Well, he was a threat to Rome. If he indeed was to be king of Judah and of the Jews, there would be a rebellion and that would put Rome's sovereignty in, in danger. So it was a matter of national security. I, it was not for my sake, it was for national security. Just, just think about this for a moment with all the things that he can even have said, well, Rome has told me I want you, uh, we want you to make sure that there is no rebellion going on in the land of Judah. So Focus on all of that. And he said, I just did what I was told. You know, Herod had good connections to Rome. They trusted him. They had trusted his father before him. who had built up that kind of close relationship. They liked him. And so, he knew that he was under order just to quell any kind of rebellion or even potential rebellion that was there. So he had explanation. We too can have good explanations for why life gets busy sometimes. And not even at Christmas, just life gets busy. And what we say is the most important thing can disappear. I, I sometimes, when I taught undergrad, graduate uh, a long time ago, I was sometimes asked to get a whole class in uh, of people the first day of class. We just talk a little bit about this and that. And I asked some, said, you know, what, tell, talk to me about your understanding of, of Jesus and, 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 and of faith and what this is all about. And, and this was not a place where everybody had to be a Christian, but some would say, it's the most important thing in my life. No one and nothing is more important than Jesus in my life. 
And I would ask a few simple questions about Jesus. And they would not. And we were saying, so the most important thing in your life is not something you have truly invested in. Oh, we just get busy, it becomes lifestyle. Yes, are we hearing this? We are here because God came to say, I want to be God with you. And so let's not just get lost in our business and in our self-absorption of all the things that are going. We have good reasons. We have great traditions. We have great patterns. We love family coming in. We have such short time together and all these kinds of things, good explanations for all of this. So let me just end by saying a little bit about God with us. I mentioned that yesterday when we opened up the the service last night about God with us, even through difficult times, what Christmas can be for so many people. But the centerpiece of all of this, of course, is that God desires to be with us. Yes? That's why we do Christmas. We're reminding ourselves of the reality that he who was from before the beginnings and ruling over all the earth, the creator of all things, he said, I want to become God with you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I will dwell in your midst. He sacrificed everything to come be with us. And notice here in verse, 30, uh, verse 23, as we saw that in chapter 1 of Matthew. Just powerful, powerful here. His name shall be Emmanuel. That means God with us. And you wonder, why is it translated? When do you translate things? When you want everybody to understand, Yes? You, some of you go to places, right, where everything is bilingual, right? So you get a sheet of paper, it's all in English, you turn around, it's all in Spanish, right? Or one line and one under, if, where I lived before, when we were in South Florida, it was all in three languages, right? There's a whole lot of people also from, from the Caribbeans, and they spoke French, and so you had English and Spanish and French, where I grew up overseas, uh, in, in Europe, right, in Copenhagen, in many places, when you get to the more touristy areas, everything will have three, four, or five languages. Because those who wrote those signs, right, and you get to a real touristy place, it'll be in all these languages. They wanted everyone who got there to understand the message that was on the sign. Yes? Think of this. God himself is saying, his name shall be Emmanuel, And if you don't understand what that means, he's going to tell it to you in your own language. It means God with us. You'll understand it. It's translated into your language. What that means. Whatever that language is that you can hear. And I'm not just talking about the verbal languages we have. He translates that into your life. God with us. Or with you. This is a powerful thing that you can't miss right here. And so notice Herod again. What about Herod? How many would have ever even heard his name had he not been connected with Jesus? Nobody would. 
except maybe a handful of historians that for some mysterious reasons were interested in knowing about old kings of Judah. Right? Others would have never even heard of him. His only significance today is his relationship to Jesus. That's the legacy. But if you look at him then, like he was amazing. There's a reason he was called Herod the Great, which, by the way, is a different Herod than when we get later on in Jesus' life. But Herod the Great had, had just brought prosperity and peace to Judah. He had pacified and quelled the rebellions that were around. He was good, and Rome loved him for that. He was good at collecting taxes. He put Rome at ease, so even Judah did not have to have as strong a presence or firm military hand from Rome as many of the other areas around because of Herod. He built incredible fortresses. Herodium is one of them. You probably know Masada better. If you ever study anything about Israel or been there, you'll have been there. He built a seaport in Caesarea. We know Paul was there later on, right? There was no real port on the whole coast to the Mediterranean for Israel. But he built a port so that they could sail to Alexandria and to Rome and bring customs and all kinds of good things Uh, trade in he did a lot of good stuff and most importantly for the Jews he rebuilt the temple with greater splendor than even the temple of Solomon are you seeing who he is and yet what he would have been forgotten like our water in the sanctuary in a few years right yes had it not been for his connection with Jesus. The very one who at this Christmas time gave us this promise, I will be God with you all the way through life. There's no place in life you can be when I'm not with you. If you feel lonely, I've been lonely. If you feel ostracized from other people, I felt ostracized from other people. If you're in pain, I know pain. If you've been broken, I know brokenness. Whatever it is, I've been there. I've been there. It is just like that God is saying to you through fire, through rushing water, if you will, through a ice cold night or burning fire I will be there with you God says is that not a promise if it was ever ever a promise we need to cling on at this to cling to at this time it is this Christmas promise Emmanuel which translated into your language whatever that might be is I will be God with you and you know I just want to end by saying this it is so easy to theoreticize these kinds of things and say you know I don't even know what that really means I mean, what does it mean to make Jesus the main person you know it, there's a way in which whatever we have made God always kind of come to the fore does it not 
with ourselves or our jobs or our family or our business or our money or our position. Whatever it is, it has a way of getting there. So look at it and say, what has a way of getting in the center of your life? What, 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 where do you turn when problems arise? Where do you go when joy needs to express? How does this fit in? That's when you see what is truly God with you. And Jesus says, I want to be that. And I can do that. So that you will know that I will be there to lift you up when you're down. To hold you when you're, when you're up. And to fill your life with true meaning. Can I begin by simply reading this text again? See, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government shall be on his shoulder And he shall be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, Father, Prince of Peace, God with you. Father, we ask that these may not be words that are just void of significance and meaning, but they're words that speak the truth. Not only the reality that is created by you, but the reality that is experienced in our heart. If there are some that are watching this from away from here, give them the courage, Father, to say, Yes, I need you to be God with me. Let us understand, Father, that word in that text, with, is a marker of togetherness. Allow us to see when it says God with us that expresses a life together. A life that is formed and shaped by the presence of the Almighty in our daily life and walk. As we look to the future, this last Sunday of an old year soon to be a brand new opening. May we resolve, everyone here, those who are watching at home or wherever they are, those who are here, to say the next year, 2023, will be a life and be a year where Jesus is at the center of everything. Thank you. That's your promise. On this very day, when you came, I will be with you. Amen and amen. Merry Christmas, friends. Isn't this a good day? We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. There might be some here that want to join the church. There want to be some here that want to say, hey, I need just someone to pray with. Make this a moment that is significant. If you don't know who Jesus is, nothing could be more exciting for us than to tell you about him person to person. Let's use these moments wisely.